says to work out your own salvation. And sometimes working out your salvation makes you sore. Spiritually, you get sore. Right? You're working out your salvation because, see, salvation contains faith. Your salvation contains miracles. Your salvation contains revival. And so when you begin to exercise those things and push into those things, it gets sore. It begins to hurt. It it hurts to work out your salvation. Because being in line for healing in your life, if you want healing in your life, you've got to work out your salvation. And sometimes you get sore to get healed. You want miracles in your life? You've got to work out your salvation. And you get sore because you're working out those miracles. You ain't going to just get a miracle without going through some workout. You ain't going to get healed without some workout. Are you hearing me? I'm preaching to myself today. The Bible says to work out your own salvation. That's just not giving your life to Jesus. That's giving your life to Jesus and everything that comes with it. Faith, healing, miracles, revival. All of that is contained in your salvation. That's why it's so important to give your life to Jesus Christ. That's why it's so important to do that because now you've set your place into a place where you begin to strengthen and grow by working your salvation out. Because you are a good, good 
good, good Father. Thank you for, and praise you, God, for where you've got us positioned in this time and in this in this place. And God, as we are positioned, we are looking forward to being with you. We look forward to being in your presence every day, but to being with you is so much better. Thank you, Father. You're a good Father, and you just keep getting gooder and gooder all the time. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. I want to I want to just say this as as these guys are um, getting their stuff uh, ready to, to get out of my way. Um, you know the the cool thing is that we've got with this team of people behind me is that this team of people behind me they're not professional musicians, but I can tell you what they are as professional worshipers, Amen. and and they are tremendous at what they do and how they do it. They got great leaders and man, it's, it's an honor to have them play behind me, especially my boy. So anyways, with that guys, you can have a seat if you'd like. So, um, how's everybody doing today? Woohoo. Yeah. Um, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm doing good. I'm a little, I'm, I'm a little hungover now. Not, not because I've been drinking, not because I've been smoking dope or anything, but I'm a little hungover today because college football came back on yesterday, and I drenched myself with college football yesterday, so especially, you know, my team, OU in the morning, and then I, then I watched um, uh, a little bit of the, the um, uh, Alabama. I watched a little bit of Alabama beat up on Miami. Oh, 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 and I know we got a Miami fan in the house. But uh, then I then I kind of watched Clemson and Georgia, and that was crazy game. Anyways, I'm a little hungover football-wise this morning. Um, but I, I'm glad this time of the season, I always know that my favorite time of the season, the, the year is coming around, my favorite season of the year, because college football starts. And that's what I like. Amen. You got your Bibles this morning? All right. If you you got your Bibles, turn over to Leviticus chapter 23. Leviticus chapter 23. Um, You know, if you don't have your Bible, we're going to put some stuff up on the screen. But man, I encourage you, bring your your paper Bible with you. And that way you can, um, I don't know, I'm just old fashioned, I guess. You know, I never thought that I would say I would be old fashioned (laughs) because I felt myself as a forerunner in so many things. But uh, I'm a little old-fashioned when it comes to that. Um, I want to welcome our Facebook Live and all those that are joining us by online platforms. Uh, We appreciate you joining us this morning. We love you. You are our extended uh, family, and uh, we we think that you're an extended campus uh, of Northern Colorado Cowboy Church. So we appreciate you joining us this morning. And um, sit back, relax in your PJs and or whatever you have on, please put something on in the presence of the Lord. But anyways, we, we appreciate you joining us as well. So you're, you're in Leviticus chapter 23, right? Um, you know, I'm, I'm doing, I don't know, I kind of quit doing series, but this, um, this starting last week, this week, and then next week, I'm just kind of talking about some things in Leviticus chapter 23. And, and Leviticus chapter 23, or Levit- the book of Leviticus is, is what we would call God's law. 
And so um, in that, I, I teach. I like teaching things out of that because I just I just like it, and um, and things. And I've been teaching on these things about the feast of the Lord for about um, almost twenty years, probably eighteen years, uh, seventeen or eighteen years. I've been t- preaching on these things, and over the years, I've gotten a lot of pushback. Um, there's some, <laughs> there's some people that say, "Are you guys a cult?" Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, Jesus cult, because I don't want anybody worshiping me, you know. I don't want anybody thinking that I'm awesome. Um, I mean, it helps the ego a little bit, but um, anyways, I, I got a lot of pushback over the years because people would say, well, you know, why are you teaching us this stuff? We're New Testament believers. We're not Jewish um, uh, you know, we're not under the law. That's the big one that New Testament believers use, and they don't even know what it means, but they think that they know what it means, and they say, well, we're not under the law. I'm not going to preach on that this morning. But the fact of the matter is is that, that um, the Bible is for all of us. Um, you know, we, we do that, and I don't understand what gives us the right to one another to argue and strive for, um, for accountability to God's word. We've all got an account. As a Christian, you have an accountability to God's word. It, it needs to be a part of your life. It needs to be the ruling part of your life. And, but we, a lot of times, will strive with one another to, um, to uh, argue what the Bible says. Well, I'm a, I'm a New Testament believer, so they, they basically rip the Old Testament out, throw it away, and then they get their black highlighter out, their black highlighter, and go through the New Testament and cross out those scriptures that are Old Testament. But this is what I found as, as I've gone through the years and got a little pushback. This is what I found is that in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it says, All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us what to do right. You see that? It says, that first line there says, All Scripture. All Scripture. Now, when the Apostle Paul wrote this to Timothy in 2 Timothy, when he wrote all Scripture, he meant all Scripture. <clears throat> I even come to the realization that the Apostle Paul, who, is, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, was at this point when he wrote this, he was writing not because he's repeating what the New Testament has to say. He's writing because all he has is the Old Testament, and he said all Scripture. The New Testament wasn't even compiled yet. He's writing it. So he's not preaching out of the New Testament. He's preaching out of the whole of what he has, which includes the Old Testament. Jesus said at the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, Jesus said, Do not think that I came to destroy. The word destroy means to misinterpret. Do, do, you know, do not think that I came to misinterpret the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy or misinterpret, but to fulfill. The word fulfill means to interpret correctly 
as a lifestyle. Jesus was saying, look, all I've got up to this point is the Old Testament. And what I'm saying is I'm not coming here to destroy these things. I'm coming here to make them a lifestyle. To fulfill them means that I'm making them a lifestyle. He goes on and says in verse 19, he says, whoever breaks, the word breaks there means to nullify, invalidate, or revoke. He says, whoever nullifies and invalidates uh, one of the least of these commandments and teaches people to do so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. I don't want to be called least in the kingdom of heaven, right? He goes on and he says, but whoever does and teaches these things, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to be great. I don't want to be least. Now, being least in the kingdom of heaven doesn't mean you're kicked out. It just means you're least. There's not a whole lot of value that you carry. But if you're great, you're fat with the word of God. You're fat. That's not P-H-A-T. Pretty hot and tempting. It's that you're fat on God's word. You've got what it takes. He says, you shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So, so what I think as I put these things together and as I teach almost every year about the feast of the Lord, what I find is that uh, being a Christian gives me a responsibility in the word of God. If you're a Christian, you have a great responsibility with the word of God. And, and in that, because it's the word of God, that is the only way that we can be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ is to see what the scripture says to us and about us and begin to validate those things because God's word said it, I didn't. God's word says it, Pastor Darren, I'm just repeating. I'm just teaching what I know. Because I know that Jesus said, if you'll teach and do these things, you'll be called great in the kingdom. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be great whether you like me great or not. Because I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep doing it. Because I want to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Because when he shows up on the scene, when God shows up on the scene, he wants to be able to identify who his people are. And those are the people who are being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, which is the word of God. He is the word. The New Testament says so. So, you know, having the responsibility gives us the privilege. Not only do you have a responsibility, you have the privilege to have access to the fullness of God's word. And in that, you even have the right to not agree with me or anybody else. But here's what I'm going to say to you. God's word is always infallible. God's word is always perfect. Man is not, but his word is. And if you're speaking his word, his word is perfect. Amen. So with me saying that, whether people push back against what I'm talking about or not, or whether it's they, they start finding some understanding, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn. I'm going to continue my walk to learn what God's Word says about me. I'm going to continue my walk to teach and to do what, uh, what God's Word says, and, and I'm going to teach about the Feast of the Lord every year. So know that come fall time, if you don't want to hear it, don't come. 
and don't join. But I would really love for you to do that because in, in almost 20 years of studying these things, um, I'm still finding things new every day, every time that I preach. Because when we find our place in the Word of God, position in the Word of God, we will be blessed. You want to be blessed? You want to be blessed? Find your position and your place in the Word of God. So with that, last week I began to talk about these feasts of God that he gave to Moses on Mount Sinai. Um, some people think that, that uh, the only thing that Moses got on Mount Sinai was Ten Commandments. No, he received all the law there. He received all of God's heart there. See, uh, this Old Testament stuff that we're talking about is not just law. It's God's character and his nature. It's who he is. It's who you are. Okay, I won't sing. That's the reason that I preach. So we start looking into these feasts of the Lord, and there's seven feasts that are mentioned here in Leviticus chapter 23 and, and other places as well in Numbers and things like that. But there were three feasts that happened in the springtime. There was one that happened in the late spring, early summertime, and then there are three that happen again in, in the fall. Uh, so that's what we're talking about in these things. Uh, and, and I believe that <clears throat> this year is so timely because we're seeing so much stuff in our world. We're seeing things politically. We're seeing things culturally. We're seeing things uh, worldwide that can really um, click over our brains uh, knowing that Jesus is coming back. These are a part of the working out of, of things that we get sore in because we know that Jesus is coming back soon. How is he going to come back? And I believe that all that is foretold in the, the, the fall feast. The second coming of Jesus is foretold in the fall feast and the symbolism and things like that. Are you with me? <clears throat> so as we're seeing the unfolding of these times and these days, we're, we're looking, you know, everybody's starting to figure that we're in the last days. Now, I understand. I think the Apostle Paul thought he was living in the last days. I think that some of the great saints of the 200s and 300s thought that they were living in the last days. But I believe that we're living in the last days. So I'll go to my grave talking about it too. Um, so if we're figuring that, then we should be able to start unlocking the significance of his feast because they're pointing to Jesus coming back and we've got to go through some of these things for him to come back. So if we, we purpose to see the prophetic treasure, not pathetic, prophetic, prophetic significance or the treasure in his feast, then these coming days that we're seeing all of the tension that's happening in our world, that what, what we see, what we're, we're going to see is um, a joyous time instead of uh, dread. There's a lot of people seeing things go on and they get dread. Oh, I don't want, I don't want the martyrdom to happen to, to the church. Dear heart, please understand my heart when I say this, but you got to go through some martyrdom. Whether you go through it or not, you're going to see it. You're going to see it happen. And it's got to happen in order for Jesus to come back. It's got to happen. And, and I hate it. But let me tell you something. God protects them 
as they go through it. It's not brutal to them. It's not brutal to them. Uh, God even takes the martyr's blood and plants it as a seed to grow up a revival of the end times in order for people to come to know the things of God. For people to come to the things of God. Because the, the Bible says in Revelation that the martyr's blood speaks from the altar. The blood of the martyr speaks. I've read stories about people being martyred and having their heads cut off and they reach down and pick up their head and take off walking, preaching the gospel with their head in their hands. I was reading a deal the other day. I'm so totally off my notes. <laughs> I, was, I was reading a deal the other day uh, about um, uh, one of the greatest martyrdoms uh, that we times that we've gone through took place in Switzerland in, in like the two, 200s, 300s that um, Rome had sent a group of, um, of um, soldiers, 6,600 soldiers to Switzerland to kill the Christians that were there and proclaiming the gospel. And once they got there, they got saved. And then he sent another legion and they got saved. And he sent another legion that were badder than them and they began to martyr these Christians. And on Switzerland's, what, what do they call that? The, the coat of, the, the, the coat of um, uh, their culture, huh? Yeah, their coat of arms. Their coat of arms symbolized three saints who were a part of the martyrdom standing there holding their heads. Go look it up. Wikipedia. <laughs> Switzerland's arm, uh, coat of arms has three men holding their heads preaching the gospel. I don't know. I just don't know, but I think you're going to hear some of that coming out in these last days. Amen. It's good stuff. Where am I? Le- Leviticus chapter 23. We're talking about the Feast of the Lord. And here in Leviticus chapter 23... I read this last week, but in verse 1 it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, The feast of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to, to be holy convocations, these are my feasts. God says, These are my feasts, but you're going to proclaim them. And on into verse 4 it says, These are the feasts of the Lord, holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at their appointed times. Amen? Amen. I love the word that he uses there. He says it's a holy convocation. Now, we're the only reason that I've used that word this week is because I read it. Other than that, I'm not using the word convocation a whole lot. But the word convocation means a calling together or a sacred assembly or a summoning. So in other words, God is saying, my feasts are a summoning to you. I'm summoning you. I'm, I'm, you ever been summoned by the court? If you get a summons, you have to appear before the judge. You have to appear before the court. And so God is saying, I'm summon, summoning you. But the word convocation has one more deeper meaning to us, and it is the definition that we are in a rehearsal. Convocation means a rehearsal. 
That means a practice or a trial or a run-through of future events. So he says, look, when, when, when I'm talking to you, when we come into the appointed time of my feast, I'm summoning you to come here to rehearse something that is going to happen later. Or rehearse something that's already happened, and we're just going to keep rehearsing that. See, Jesus came in the springtime, or, or he uh, died on the cross in the springtime. And he fulfilled the scriptures of the spring feast, Passover, first fruits, unleavened bread. Then he gave us the Holy Spirit on, on, the, on the Pentecost, day of Pentecost, which is called the Feast of Weeks. In the, late, uh, in the late spring, early summer. And then we come into the fall feast. The spring ones were about his first coming. The fall ones point to his second coming. And it ain't happened yet. So we keep rehearsing. We keep rehearsing. So what are we rehearsing? I'm so glad you asked because that's what I'm going to talk to you about. Um, as, um, as the Israelites receive these, this, these words from Moses, they began to rehearse or they began to practice these feasts. And whether they knew it or not, they were practicing and making ready for themselves their Messiah to bring salvation from heaven. He's bringing salvation. He's bringing the fullness of who God is, the fullness of heaven, the fullness of what, um, what, Comes, they, they weren't just getting their fire insurance and being saved from hell. They were being saved from hell, but there's so much more to it. There's so much more that, that, that God wanted to give them. And so they were practicing these things because they wanted to see the Messiah. They wanted to experience the Messiah, encounter the Messiah who would come and bring salvation. Getting awful quiet in this Presbyterian church. <laughs> so when, when Jesus showed up and he walked this earth, he demonstrated the power of God. And he fulfilled those spring feasts through his death, burial, and resurrection. And many of the Jews missed it because they didn't understand. Because they didn't think that this carpenter from Galilee was really a Messiah. They missed it, and to this day, many Jews still miss it. Haven't got a hold of it yet. So we, we move into, he, he came and fulfilled those spring feasts, right? right? So now we move into the fall feast and see what those things begin to mean. And, and last, week, last week, I talked about the Feast of Trumpets, on your calendar, it probably says Rosh Hashanah, which means the head of the year, the, the beginning of the new year. But the Feast of Trumpets was all about blowing the shofar. And the, the Jews believed that when, or the rabbis believed that when that trumpet is blown on Feast of Trumpets, that it opens the gates of heaven. This was a time of year of opening up the gates of heaven. And allowing God, what they, what they begin to see is that God opens the gates and reaches down to earth. And we begin to reach up to earth. And we connect. You know that picture of the hands of God, the two fingers coming together? The, who, who, who painted that? 
Michelangelo. Michelangelo painted those fingers coming together. That's what it's about. It's about God reaching into our lives and we reaching into his life and we touch and salvation comes. When that feast of trumpet, when that shofar blows, that trumpet blows and the gates of heaven are opened up, there are 10 days from that spot, that is in the month, the Jewish month of Tishri. Tishri 1 is when the trumpets blow. And for the next 10 days, going towards the next major point of what God is talking about in Leviticus chapter 23, those 10 days are called the uh, days of awe. It's where we get our word awesome. It's an awesome time. Because we, we talked about last week how that we are in a, in, in a season of repentance. And like tomorrow night, we as a church are going to meet over at um, Sanborn Park over in Greeley. And we, we're going to have our rocks that have our things that we're working, our resolutions, getting rid of the old. And we're going to write that on those rocks and we're going to chunk them out in the, in the, in the pond there, the lake. In Oklahoma, it'd be a pond. Um, <laughs> But you all call it a lake for some reason. It ain't really the lake. Anyways, um, I think it's a reservoir. I just wanted to say that, reservoir. Um, so we're going to throw those in. And, and th- those things that are written upon that rock, those things, those addictions, those uh, things that bring guilt and shame to our life, those sins that so easily beset us, as the Apostle Paul said, we are looking at those things in the 10 days of awe and we're saying thank you to God for getting rid of that and solidify that God on the inside of me that I get rid of this once and for all. And so that 10 days, we're just continuing to repent, continuing to see the gravity of our repentance happen in the 10 days of awe. But on the 10th day, the last day of those days of awe, the 10th day is called... Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur. And Yom Kippur means the day of atonement. The day of atonement. You may have seen that on your, on your calendars, Yom Kippur. But it's called the day of atonement. And the day of atonement... See, we, we, lump, we lump this day of atonement into the feast. But feast means a celebration. We're feasting. It's a celebration. You get it? But the Day of Atonement is kind of sandwiched in the middle here, and it's really not a great feast because it is the most solemn day on the whole year of the calendar of the Jews. It's the most solemn day. It's not a happy time. It's not a rejoicing time um, on the outside. But once we go through it and once we're walking it out, it becomes a good time. But really, it's, it's a day of quietness. It's a day of death. It's a day of... <laughs> it's a day of being serious and sober-minded. It's a solemn day. If you would go over to Leviticus chapter 16, I'm just going to jump right into this. Um, Leviticus chapter 16, verse 29. This is what the Lord said to Moses again. 
He says, now this shall be a statute, verse 29, this shall be a statute forever for you. For how long? Forever. This shall be a statute forever for you. In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your souls and do no work at all, whether a native of your own country or a stranger who dwells among you. A stranger means a Gentile, somebody who is outside the country that's come into your ways, come into your culture. And so he says there, or a stranger who dwells among you. For on that day, the priest shall make atonement for you to cleanse you that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It is a Sabbath, a solemn rest for you, and you shall afflict your souls. It is a statute forever. He said the priest on this day will make atonement for you. The word atonement means making amends or covering. So the priest in those old times, in these, these times of Moses, the priest, would, um, uh, the, the, the priest would make atonement for you. For the high priest of the, of the um, temple, he was the one doing all the work that day. He's the one bleeding out all the animals, killing these animals There were many sheep that were brought during that day. The the priest would dress in this white linen, I mean, stark white, as white as white can be. And he walks out and begins to cut the throats of sheep, of birds, and, and two of the most important that point to this time, bulls and goats. So as he's bleeding all these animals out, he's getting blood squirting on him. It's if you were to put it on Facebook today, they would cover it and say, this is, do you really want to see this picture? It, it was a bloody day. And so many times during that day, that priest would, would have blood all over him, and then he would go and, and change into another white. He would take a, take a bath and change into another white thing, and then he would come out and he'd kill some more, and he'd go and change. He was doing uh, what they call mikvah, several times that day. The word mikvah is what we get our word baptism. So he gets baptized many times that day to wash all that blood off of him because he knew that once he gathered all the blood, then he was going to have to go into the Holy of Holies, which is the most holy place where God's presence was, and he can only go in there once a year. And if he went in without taking a bath, and without getting the blood off of him, he would die in that, in that place. Because those things represent sin, and you cannot be sin, you cannot have sin in the presence of your God. Amen. Because Not because God don't like you, but because sin in the presence of God, something's got to die. It's either God or you. Guess who's going <laughs> to? You know? So... Anyways, um, the, the two most important animals that he sacrifices that day are, is, is a bull. He, he sacrifices a bull and then two goats. The bull was sacrificed for himself. He had, to, he had to cut this bull's throat and take his blood for himself. And that covered his sin, the sin of the priest, but then there were two goats that came into the scene and these one goat was sacrificed and the other goat was um, not yet 
sacrificed. Are you with me? I don't want to. I don't want to confuse anybody. But if the priest did anything out of order, he would he would die in God's presence. So I want to point to the two goats that are brought in. Do y'all remember the Price is Right when Bob Barker was there? I mean, Drew Carey. I don't watch it anymore. But Bob Barker was the king. And there was a game that they would play where they had this, these chips in a bag and, and they put a new car out there and these people had to draw these chips out of that bag. You know, he'd bunch them around, he'd, they'd draw it out and if it was a strike and they got three of them, they didn't get the car. But if they got the numbers, they had to put it in the right spot to get the car. Right? Yeah. Y'all with me? Yeah. This is similar to what the priest was doing. They had a bag or a box or something like that that had two chips in there, had two uh, what they called lots in there. They were gold chips that one of those chips said for Adonai or for God, and the other one said Azazel, A-Z-A-Z-E-L, Azazel. And there was only two in there, and so he'd reach in with both hands and he would pull out those chips, and the one that said for Adonai, for God, that goat became the sacrifice of the, the, the blood would have to be drained. The other was the Azazel, and that Azazel became the scapegoat. That's what Azazel means, is the scapegoat. That's where we get the term. And so... When the, when the lot fell upon the one goat, he would take that one goat, he'd cut its throat, pour the blood out into a container, and the other goat was just waiting, and he would take that blood into the, uh, into the Holy of Holies where the, the presence of the Lord was. So this, this priest had a garment on that had bells around the, the, the bottom of it because nobody was allowed to go into that room except him on that day with blood and with the, the perfect order of things that needed to be done. And he had these bells. And if they could hear the bells tinkling, they, they tied a rope to his foot. And if, if they heard the bells tinkling, they knew that he was still alive. But if the bells quit ringing, they'd drag him out, start all over. Next. <laughs> the guy behind him was going. So, so they drag him out, you know, if, if he dies. But when he's in there, he takes that blood of the goat and he begins to sprinkle it on the mercy seat or upon the altar. The, the uh, you've seen Raiders of the Lost Ark. The, <laughs> see, I gotta, I gotta put everything in perspective of what, y'all, what I watch on TV. Um, the, the Ark of the Covenant is sitting there and the top of the Ark is called the mercy seat and he would sprinkle that blood and the blood of the goat was for the sins of the people of the nation. The bull was his sin the goat's blood was for the sins of the nation. And so <clears throat> in the midst of that, if everything went good, then the priest would come out and everybody would go, he's here. He would come out and he would walk over to the scapegoat, the Azazel. And you can read all this in, in Leviticus chapter 16. He would lay his hands up on the goat's head and he would pronounce all of the sins of the people, the iniquities, all the things that they dealt with the year before. He would confess them upon the head of that goat. 
Then he would take a red sash and he would tie it around the horns of the goat. That's the original goat tying right there. (laughs) He would tie that sash on the horns of the goat. And then he called for a person to come and get the goat. They would take the goat outside of the temple, take him out to a specific place where there was a cliff. And he would take that goat and he would go, Spartan kicked that sucker right off the cliff and he would die. But here's the cool part. The, the, the Midrash, which is a, uh, a uh, commentary or it's the oral tradition uh, of God. The, I'm sorry, not the Midrash, but the Mishnah, which was the oral traditions of God, um, speaks about how that when they tied the red sash to the goat's head and took him out, when the doors closed, they would take a red sash and tie it around the pulls of the door of the temple and everybody would gather around and look at that red sash that's tied to the doors. And when they kick the goat off, if God accepted the sin that was spoken over, confessed over that goat, if God accepted that sacrifice, the sash on the door would turn white. Supernaturally turn white. Meaning that or or reflecting the scripture in Isaiah chapter one, verse 18, that says, though your sins are many and are are red uh, or of scarlet red, they shall be made white as snow. And so if the sash turned white, God accepted that. And that's where it became a gladness on the inside of them because God has now freed them from the sin of the past and given them a future to look forward to. That's good. So I want to I leave you with this little side note here. That um, it was a good, what they call a good omen. It was a good thing when the priest reached his hands in to get those, um, those, those lots, those coins, and pull them out. For, it, it was a good thing if he pulled it out for Adonai in his right hand they had something to look forward to. They felt it was a good thing if the, that um, four Adonai came up in his right hand. Forty years before the, the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, 40 years before that, those 40 years leading up to the temple destruction in 70 AD, the priest never pulled the coin out in his right hand. He always, for Adonai, went in his left. And they would go, Oh, something's not right. For 40 years before the destruction of the temple. Do you know what came 40 years before the destruction of the temple? Jesus was crucified at Calvary in 30 AD. And from that point till the temple was destroyed, the priest never pulled the Adonai chip out of the basket. Another thing is, is the sash that was tied on the doors from 30 AD until 70 AD when the, when the temple was destroyed never turned white again. Not because God didn't like them, but because the, the, the sacrifice had been put on his son, Jesus. And Jesus became the fulfillment of those things. That's so good, isn't it? And because of Jesus' sacrifice, Jesus became the high priest 
he became not only the high priest, but he also became the sacrifices. He became the Azazel, the scapegoat. Read Hebrews. He was the complete, Jesus was the completed atonement for mankind, past, present, and future. That's how good Jesus is. That's, that's how much weight his death, burial, and resurrection bring to us. Amen. In, in Hebrews chapter 9, let's jump over there to the New, let's jump to the New Testament so that we all know that it's okay. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11, it says this, But Christ, who is Jesus, Christ came as high priest of good things to come, with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is not of this creation. So in other words, the tabernacle we're talking about here is not the tabernacle of the earth. It's the tabernacle that is in heaven that is a reflection or is the main, the, the, the one on earth was a reflection of the one in heaven. He says, he entered the most holy place, which is the Holy of Holies with his own blood. He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For, it is, for if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies and purifying, for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this reason, he, Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. Jesus became the high priest. He was not only the high priest, he was the sacrifice. Not only was he the sacrifice, he was the scapegoat. Not only was he the scapegoat, he is the completeness of what the day of what, what atonement is. And he took care of that. That doesn't mean we throw it out. It means that we understand that our salvation came from Jesus stepping into this spot. When he died on the cross, he took his blood into the Holy of Holies in heaven and paid the price. Jesus paid the price. Amen. Amen. Skip on over to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. It says, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, that's what we're talking about, is the shadow. These things in Leviticus are shadows of the things to come. And not, uh, and not the very image of the things can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. In other words, those things that happened back there were just shadows and they couldn't make anybody perfect. The, the, max, um, the, the max good that it would do back then was a year. But Jesus' blood is forever. When we receive him as the high priest who went into the Holy of Holies in heaven, it is forever. His blood is good. He don't have to re-sacrifice himself. Amen. 
So even though Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection fulfilled much of the Day of Atonement's requirements, there is one thing that I find that is still not quite yet fulfilled to the fullness on the Day of Atonement. One of the themes, every, every feast has a theme, has, a, has other things, other names tied to it. The Day of Atonement, the theme of the Day of Atonement was called Face to Face. Face to face. And that hasn't been fulfilled for his people yet. See, the priest could go in once a year and meet with God there. God's presence was there. He was there. You understand what I'm saying? He, God, God was there. He wasn't in heaven reaching down. He was there. And the priest go in there, and if he's all good, he meets him face to face. If he comes in, he's not all good, face to face, kills him. But that hasn't, we haven't seen God face to face yet. We're still looking forward to that day. That's the future that we're looking for, is to see God face to face. You know, the scripture says that no, no one can see God face to face and live. That's absolutely right, because without crucifying your own flesh, it's what the Bible, New Testament says, so we've got to crucify our own flesh, that we've got to sacrifice our flesh. That's the only way we can see the face of God. So as the high priest was allowed one time into the Holy of Holies, he saw God that day, and, and that brought about the theme of being face-to-face. See, Jesus, when he died on the cross, the New Testament says that the veil that covered the Holy of Holies was split down the middle from top to bottom. You, know, you got to understand, this thing was about two stories tall. This curtain was two stories tall and was about anywhere from 6 to 12 inches thick. I don't care if a WWE wrestler could rip a phone book in half. Ain't no man going to rip a curtain that's 12 inches thick and two stories tall. But Jesus, but God did on the day when, when God blew out of that place... When Jesus died, it tore that veil from top to bottom and exposed everything that was in the Holy of Holies. Priests didn't know what to do. They didn't know what to do. This shouldn't be. This shouldn't happen. But Jesus, when he died, the veil of the temple of the Holy of Holies was torn and it gave access to whoever. Are you a whoever? If you're born again, you're a whoever. And if you're not born again, you can become a whoever. Because the, the, when the presence of God left that place, it went, he went through open gates into his place, in, onto his throne. So becoming a Christian, what it means to become a, script, a, a, a Christian is um, when we become a Christian, it changes us spiritually from the inside. You know what, you know what I mean? That's what being born again is. It changes us from the inside. But then we get into the Word of God and it begins to change us soulishly and physically. Soulishly, changing our soul means that we change, we, we start changing our mind, our will, and our emotions. That's what the soul is. Our mind, our will, and our emotions. We're born again spiritually, but we need to be born again soulishly. 
and then we'll see the, 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 the results physically, bodily. And what happens when we become a Christian? 1 Peter 2.9 says that you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. When you get born again, you become a priest of God. And you're not just one of these little um, priests that are in the back. You are a royal priest. That means you are a kingly priest. In Revelation chapter 1, it says in verses 5 and 6, it says, To him who loved us and washed us from our sin in his own blood has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. The words kings and priests, I heard somebody say, well, you're either a king or you're a priest. No, you're not. You are a king and a priest because you are a kingdom. We become a kingdom of priests. In this room, if you're a Christian, you are kingly priests. That's what the blood of Jesus does for us. In Revelation 5.10, it says, and have, talking about Jesus, have made us kings and priests or a kingdom of priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. We shall reign. We are kingly priests, guys. Do you understand that? We are kingly priests. We have the opportunity and the privilege of getting to experience God face to face. We have that ability. We have that privilege. Because God opened the Holy of Holies to us. It's no longer here on this earth. The Holy of Holies is in the heavens. God is seated on his throne. Jesus is seated on his at his right hand. And Holy Spirit, who brings out the kingly priesthood of who we are, allows us to go into his presence. And his presence to come here so that we can be with him face to face. Here's, here's what I came to the understanding of is that God, by, by give, making us kingly priests, God did not demote the priesthood to the common, but he elevated the common to priesthood. Yes. See, we're, we're just common people. And God didn't say, well, you know, put the priesthood on them kingly priests go to them and we're demoting them because they're just common. No, God says you were the common, but now you're a kingly priest. I am elevating you to a place where you can come and be face to face with me. See, as God's chosen priests, we have the privilege and the opportunity to meet him face to face. And it's through Jesus that we have the privilege and opportunity to meet him face to face face. We used to sing a song in the Free Will Baptist Church called Face to Face. We didn't understand what it meant, but we sang it because it was in the hymnal. I remember that, page 50. Turn to page 50, 5-0. All right, piano, get ready, organ, get ready. But through Jesus, we get, to, we get to meet with him 
face to face, now spiritually, but then physically. This day of atonement is literally judgment day. And it's a time that we stand before God in judgment. We stand before him face to face, taking into accountability how we manage this Christian life. This is not a send you to hell thing. This is a thing that brings about our entrance into him, into his community. Not kicking us out, but saying, you did well, my good and faithful servant. Because in John chapter 17, verse 22, it says, And the glory, this is Jesus praying this before he goes to the cross, And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, my disciples, that they may be one, they may be one, as we, Father, are one. Jesus transferred the oneness of who he was over into the oneness, or or to, to give us the oneness that he had with God. That's what I call a face-to-face. And it comes through atonement because face-to-face with God is atonement. And this is what it looks like. At-one-ment. Atonement is at-one-ment with God. Face-to-face. That's what this day is all about. It's looking and going, God, when this hits, I'm going to be more one with you I'm going to see the completeness of being at one with you, the at one that Jesus wanted us to be. Amen? Amen. So I want to close with this, is how can we as Christians in 2021 commemorate the Day of Atonement? I'm I'm going to tell you something, that you're not held liable You're held responsible, but not liable. You don't have to, um, you don't have to celebrate, which the Day of Atonement is not a celebration. It's a, it's a commemoration. You don't have to do it. It's not required. You're not going to go to hell if you don't. It's not a salvation issue, but it's a privilege issue. And so if you wanted to see what it's like to commemorate that, um, just know that it's not a legalistic thing. It's, it's not about earning God's approval. It's not about earning a reward if you do it. It's just about putting yourself in that place like a high priest would back in the Old Testament. And so when he, when he talked about these things in Leviticus 16 and 23, it, you know, it was a solemn day. It was a serious and sobering day. It was a day of rest. So I would say to you that if you want to do this, take the day off from work. I'm giving you enough time to put in for a day off work if you would like to do that. Take a day off work, and I'm giving you permission to sit around and do nothing because it's called a Sabbath. It's a day of rest. It's a day of rest. It's a solemn day, a serious day, a sobering day that you completely put your mind upon what is going on on that day from the Bible. It's a day of rest, and it's a day of fasting. The Bible says that they, 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 it was a day that they afflicted their souls. 
The Jews knew that afflicting your soul, they took that as fasting. The Bible doesn't say you've got to fast. He just says afflict your soul, which would be fasting. What does that mean? Here's what fasting means on this day. This is from the Jewish culture. That they would prepare a dinner before sundown, and they would just sit there the whole time and smell it. No, I'm kidding. I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, they would, they would prepare a dinner before sundown so that they could have food in their bodies. And when sundown hit, then the day would start. In the Jewish culture, the, sun, the, the day starts at sundown. So they would go and, and they would, um, uh, you know, prepare dinner, uh, eat, and then sundown they would start the 24-hour fast. It was a 24-hour fast where they had no food, no water. They would abstain from all luxuries and entertainment. They would abstain from a bath and it could be a stinky day, you know. <laughs> abstain from a bath and they would abstain from, more, uh, from marital relations, if you know what I mean. Afflicting your souls. Y'all get that some other time, I guess. Um, so here's what we got in today's time. The Day of Atonement begins September 15th at sundown. September 15th at sundown begins the Day of Atonement. And at sundown on the 16th, we break the fast and have a feast. You feast, you fast, and you feast. And so... I want to say this because it's not trying to earn God's approval, not trying to get a reward. This is only for healthy adults. If you're not healthy and you can't fast, it's okay. For, for pregnant and nursing mothers, it's okay. You don't have to join in to that. Just observe from the sidelines. That's part of the hangover that I have <laughs> because it's not a legalistic thing. So we break the fast with a meal on September 16th at sundown. So if you want to join into that, you can. I'm done talking about this today. I'm all, I'm all through, but here's the deal. God wants to meet his people face to face and he has given you the right and the privilege to be able to do that through Jesus Christ. We have become priests, not only priests, but kingly priests. We reign on this earth. If you're a Christian, you reign on this earth. Amen? That's what the Day of Atonement is about. Jesus is our atonement. Jesus' blood has made us perfect. Amen? Amen. So with that, I want to pray over you, and then we're going to get out of here. Father, I thank you so much for this day. And I thank you for your word, even though it's difficult sometimes to contain the richness of who you are. God, I pray that as what has been spoken will become a reality in our lives. Father, I pray that as, as we have entered into this place um, with the blood of Jesus, God, I thank you for making us kingly priests. Father, I pray that right now, if there's anybody under the sound of my voice that has never asked Jesus to be a part of their life or wanted to be a part of Jesus' life, Father, I pray that they could do that today. They could step into this kingly priesthood. They could step into this place where Jesus becomes their Lord. 
And so, Father, I thank you that what you said about your prayer, Jesus' prayer to you about his disciples is that they would become one as you and him were one. I pray that today there would be people that would say, yes, Jesus, I want you a part of my life. Yes, Jesus, I want to be a part of your life. God, I pray that if there's anybody like that under the sound of my voice, that today they would say yes to Jesus and be born again and come into this beautiful salvation that you have given us through your blood. We thank you. We praise you for that harvest in Jesus' name. Amen.